Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I have joining me Eric Norman of Bolger Printing. Eric, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Hey, thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Good to spend time with you. Uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, Eric, tell me a bit about your current role and your company. Sure, happy to do so, Chris. Uh, I'm currently the Senior Vice President for Bolger Printing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're a uh, national uh, print service provider and we help clients communicate with their audience, both in a traditional printed format, as well as helping them facilitate uh, digital workflows where they can bring together all of their various digital assets, uh, bring that together into an elegant platform, and then facilitate multi-channel or omni-channel marketing capabilities. Uh, Our company work with some well-known brand names, companies like David German Jewelry, for instance, uh, we work with a number of well-known financial institutions around the country, a lot of large healthcare uh, providers. So we're handling uh, private secure data. We deal with a lot of compliance and regulatory issues in the organization, across the organization. Uh, and then we do a lot of work in traditional corporate space. Uh, med tech companies like Boston Scientific rely on us, for example, uh, 3M Corporation, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, but I would say our, you know, the primary markets that we tend to support clients within would be healthcare, uh, finance, uh, luxury retail goods and brand names, and then your general kind of corporate corporate America. Right, right. I was really excited to have mm-hmm. you on the show um, because I actually, have, I uh, back in my early days when I was doing ERP ERP implementations, I did an ERP implementation for a very large uh, manufacturer of of uh, packaged uh, uh, paperboard packaging, and the technology that goes into printing is unbelievable. Um, it is really a tech-heavy industry. People may not think about that, but it really is. And on your website, you have the the, the tagline of unifying the power of print and digital. Can you talk about that? From you know, for if I'm on the the sales side. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to solve that problem. How do you guys tackle that for your customers? Uh, it's a great question and uh, one that we get asked fairly frequently. So print, as you said, is a very uh, technology-driven industry. And many people look at print as a very traditional roll-up-the-sleeves, right. ink-under-the-fingernails kind of an industry. Right. Um, it is all of that in many respects, but today print not only is it everywhere, but it's uh, intertwined in all aspects of communication. And so that unifying concept of bridging together uh, print and digital, we live in a digital first world. Uh, Our clients are doing digital first marketing. And the way we unify that is we can work with them to take the different uh, data streams that they've created, maybe through CRM, through ERP systems, through point of sale systems, their various marketing asset libraries that are digitally uh, held, we can bring those together into a unified storage platform and then allow the marketers who are working with that data to go to one source and to streamline, simplify, and make their workflow much more efficient. 
So it's bringing in the digital to then create a printed piece. Yep. Uh, it's also then using uh, data and responding to data to create a printed piece. So the print is being used to, if you will, close the sale rather than open the sale. It's being used to drive the brand engagement, you know, create a sense of connection where digital just doesn't quite do that uh, as well uh, as print does because of the tangible nature of print. Right. And that's what exactly why I wanted you on the show, because everyone is so focused on digital, 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 mm -hmm. that I think print gets overlooked. And I think that's a mistake. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Um, first question I have for everybody is what are the three things that have really contributed to your success? Uh, you know, there's, there's so many, I, I think the one thing that just jumps out to me is that, uh, looking at your early failures as opportunities to grow. Um, you know, there's the saying of you can fail forward. Uh, I think that's an important concept. It's one that I had to learn, you know, early on and through that then develop a strong adversity quotient. And certainly if you're in sales and certainly if you're in sales within the print industry, you need to learn resiliency and how to move forward against all sorts of obstacles because they're always in our way. Right. And that's I'm sure true of any of any business, any industry. Uh, so I think that's one. The other, uh, probably the one of the most profound, um, uh, let's say, words that was spoken into me early on by a wonderful manager was that I needed to be the president of Eric Norman Inc. And it was in the context of of really two thought processes that he shared this with me. One was, hey, find your own voice because you're only, you're gonna be the best you can be when you're using your own voice. And the other aspect was, hey, be accountable because nobody is going to be accountable for you. You have to own your own results. You have to own your own accomplishments and learning, et cetera. You can't rely just on the company or management to do that. Right. So I think failing forward, finding my own voice and being accountable. I love it. Thinking back to when you got your start in sales, what do you wish you were taught when you got that first job in sales? Uh, I, I think just how darn hard it is sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it's, there's not an easy, there's no such thing as an easy path anyway, but, right. uh, you know, I remember the early days, the difficulties of just rejection after rejection after rejection. Yeah. And, you know, not knowing that or what that would feel like before going into that. And people talk about it, but it's one of those things that until you experience it and feel it and hear it, yeah. it just, you know, it's kind of a, I'm intellectually aware that this is going to be hard, but right. then you get into it. It's, you know, how hard it really can be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think if we all knew that, it's one of those things like, man, if I knew it was going to be like this, I'm not sure I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, no, no, no regrets on it. But uh, I think yeah. some people feel, I mean, we see it all the time. So be, oh, if I just want to get into sales, I just want to get into sales because they right. see the upside of the relationships and they right. maybe see the monetary aspect of it. Right. Um, they see the freedom aspect of it and all those things are wonderful, but you know, those things don't come without a cost. That's right. That's right. Think back to that period as a salesperson, what is your best story from that era? Well, 
I mean, probably the one of the more remarkable ones for me, I guess, was back in, I won't even date it, but let's say a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, th this will give you a clue as to the era. I was, I was uh, a salesman for an uh, office products company. And I was selling a thermal transfer ribbon and plain paper facsimile machines. So my guess is there's probably a lot of people in the audience that might not even know what a facsimile machine is uh, <laughs> any longer. But it was this magical new communication tool back in uh, in that time frame. Yeah. And you know I was cold. I was a cold calling salesperson, and I within a territory in in the uh, Twin Cities area. And this was shortly after having gone through, it was probably a Brian Tracy seminar or, or, you know, one of the other sales leaders. And so I was feeling a little inspired and probably thought more thoughtful than, than usual, but I was having a miserable day. Um, I think, you know, my, my, I was getting, um, you know, rejected at the door. I uh, had a lot of, you know, attempted closes with no results and just, it was just a bad day. Right. Well, getting toward the end of the day, I walked into a small two-person insurance uh, uh, company, independent insurance uh, organization. I'm thinking, that's perfect. They, they, why, why would they not need a facsimile machine? Right. So I did my best. I sold everything, talked about features and benefits and the whole deal, did the little demo, and I got rejected. And I kind of out of frustration just rose up and said, well, I think clearly you're not ready for this new technology. I said, but that's great because I've learned through this studies that my next call, I will close a deal. So you just taken me one step closer to a yes. You remember those back in those days, you're one step closer to a yes. Not close. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, so anyway, it just kind of came out. And I turned to walk out and the guy had second thoughts. He brought me back in, he bought a machine and we did everything that we needed to do. And then it turned out a month later, he had a fire in the facility and ended up having to buy a second one off an insurance claim. So <laughs> it was it was kind of a, a two for one yeah. uh, deal, you know, but the, the lesson learned from that had nothing to do with, you know, did I, did I do a good pitch? Did I have a good closing technique, et cetera? Um, but I think it was confident and I was willing, I was willing to walk away and I was willing to, in a sense, almost challenge Right. Um, I was probably not done in any level of appropriateness or good technique, but it happened to work in that moment. That's right. So who's going to judge, right? It worked. <laughs> Correct. Correct. The, score, the scoreboard was plus one, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So tell me about your transition to sales leadership. Was it an easy transition for you or was it difficult? Um, it, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was difficult. I, I guess it was kind of in the middle. I, I had probably a more of a non-traditional path into, into sales leadership. Um, you know, I sold office equipment for a period of time and then I, I moved organizations. I was always been very sales minded and in, in kind of a selling capacity, but was more emphasis on um, product marketing and product development and leading um, uh, a product range within a business unit. Mm -hmm. And in that capacity, we were always co-selling and particularly on large uh Know, corporate deals or you know international distribution type deals, and you know through that course, or through that the course of that of that career journey, um, I learned a lot of leadership skills. I learned a lot of sales management skills, but I wasn't the sales manager, um, not for a number of years, and then eventually uh, again moved into a different organization, all within the print. The common thread has been print related industries all right. along. 
I moved into an organization that was uh, based out of Toronto and there took on uh, a VP of sales uh, role. And it was, you know, pure sales leadership. So I had a lot of background, but it was kind of a non-traditional approach into sales. So I always like to think of it as I brought more business leadership and just leadership uh, to the equation than, than specifically sales leadership um, into that. But, you know, it's a different journey when, um, you know, you have a team of individuals that you're walking alongside with and they and you, you know, have pay at risk and to keep them motivated and encouraged and to make sure that they're having the tools that they need. I always looked at my view as if if I can keep the ground in front of them clear, Mm -hmm. I'm doing a pretty okay job. That's awesome. What were some of the big mistakes or were there any big mistakes you made early on? Yeah, I think, um, uh, underestimating the, uh, let's say the self-accountability that, that good salespeople have when they're not hitting their number. Mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, really strong salespeople, they're going to be harder on themselves than you can ever be uh, as a sales leader. Mm-hmm. And for sure, based on the own pressures that I was feeling, you know, the responsibility that you have both up as well as down to your team Right. Uh, overplaying the hand, you know, putting putting undue pressure on people, and then realizing that that can actually lead to even worse results. Right. Uh, so I kind of had to, you know, I had to have a few gut check moments. And quite frankly, you know, thankfully, most really good salespeople are not not shy about letting you know their thoughts and right. and just being introspective and and learning along the way. But I would say, you know, putting placing too much pressure on somebody who is already pressurizing themselves. Yeah. So you have both sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Is that difficult to balance and, and, and maintain a balance between both sides? It, it is. In, at Bolger, it's uh, how we market and how we sell is, is now undergoing some significant shifts because um, the buyer journey has changed. Um, and it, it, let's say that change was accelerated by this pandemic. And so what it's doing is placing an increased emphasis on how we go to market and how we create awareness, consideration and and purchase, you know, through those kind of campaign funnels. Mm -hmm. So the prominence of marketing, I would say, is actually increasing. Traditionally in the print space, sales and marketing, you would use almost interchangeably. You know, I mean, the salesperson was your marketer. Um, Many print organizations never even had a marketer. Uh, we've had a very small marketing uh, staff at the moment. We've used it. Uh, we have a fractional service that we're using for that. Right. So um, I wouldn't say that there hasn't been a lot of difficulty in managing that that tension, but there is shifting priority mm-hmm. in terms of how do we how do we increasingly leverage marketing to drive leads, qualified leads for the sales organization which are harder and harder for them to find on their own because the buyer journey has changed so significantly. Yeah, I believe that. And the reason why I asked that question is, you know, that I think it's tempting for sales leaders. If you're having a lot of success, you're thinking like, where else can I impact the organization? You know what? I should own marketing. Um, 
Do you think that's a good choice for a sales leader to also try to uh, manage the marketing side of the house or should they resist that temptation? You know, they're, they're two different skill sets, um, but they complement each other really well. I think the answer is one of dependency. It depends on the leader and the leader's background and experience. I also think it depends on the size and the reach of the organization. Um, you know, we were a, a, a family owned operation. We're, we're probably $35 million a year in sales. We have two locations and about 180 employees. Right. Um, we have 18 on our sales staff. So we're not so big that you can't blend the two uh, together. I think in larger organizations where you're really now leveraging marketing and the analytics of marketing and more the science of marketing, right. then you probably want a different skill set than a pure sales leader leading that, leading that charge. Right. Talk to me about how you've constructed your sales team. What was your priority when you built your team? Well, when I came to Bolger um, and we're still in the journey, um, I don't, well, I don't know if you ever ended the journey <laughs> to be, to be fair, <laughs> but um, I, sometimes I wish you could get to the, the destination, right. but you know, the, the print organization was one of the sales traditional sales structure here. And in many places is more of an Island approach. You know, the sales person does everything. They, they, they're doing the outbound prospecting, business development. They're doing their own account-based marketing. Right. You know, they're project managing. They're, you know, they're, it, it's like a one-man band. Right. Um, and that's difficult to, to perform. So what we've, the journey we've been on is shifting that from kind of an island structure more to a sales pod structure where we're building um, teams around vertical markets. And our teams today look still like, you know, collect, uh, you know, a cooperative of individual sales people mm -hmm. who have some common affinity and they're able to share war stories, share success stories, work together on some of the business development aspects for the collective benefit of the, of the pod. And then we're building an account management structure with our client success team so that when they land something, they have an ability to put it over the fence and then somebody can if you will, keep it sold right. um, from a project management standpoint. So we're still um, making our way through that, uh, through that journey. But I, I really see in our company uh, that will continue to be the destination we strive toward. And we're flexible because it doesn't always fit in every case. So I'm, I'm not one to ever think that you can have, here's rigidly, here's my st structure. I, I think you got to work with the personalities that you have, the skill sets that you have, the tenure of the team mm -hmm. uh, to make different structures work. But we're leaning in that direction. Right. Do you have a def definition of success or, you know, uh, an idea of, <clears throat> you know, not an endpoint, but really that that what that point you're driving to where, you know, like, OK, this part is done. In terms of the structure, yeah, or just transitioning to pods. Yeah, I, it's it's a great it's a great question. So when we start seeing the more um, kind of natural cooperation, and where they start doing some lead sharing or team based selling, mm -hmm. that will be a strong indicator for us. And we do have some of that. 
Uh, I will also, I'm also looking for, uh, you know, kind of indicators, excuse me, indicators where we've being recognized as thought leaders within a key vertical. Right. And we have a couple of verticals where, where that structure has worked well for us historically. Uh, and then that's in healthcare and in luxury. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to model this team structure because it worked in a couple of verticals right. uh, already. And there, when high-end brands have a need for you know certain particular work, they, they come to our uh, sales leader in that in that space because she's recognized as a thought leader in that industry. And likewise, we have that in in healthcare. And I think to me that's an indicator of success. The numbers follow that. Right. Um, the numbers are the lagging indicator, though. Okay. I think the leading indicator is are people reaching out to us and wanting to have a dialogue because we're delivering something of value to their business and in their industry. Yeah, that's terrific. Were there any obstacles or hurdles you had to get over to through this transition? <laughs> Compensation structure, um, established cultures uh, with tenured experienced salespeople, right. uh, an industry that doesn't approach it that way. So yeah, there were some long tail uh, issues there. I, the analogy that I used, I don't, if you're a gardener, you might understand this, but <clears throat> I had a house at one time where my wife and I wanted to, to re-landscape and we had all these juniper bushes, these low growing juniper oh, yeah. bushes, yeah. you know, and the roots are literally everywhere. Yeah. So you think I can just pull this little thing up, you pull it up and what you realize is you never get all the roots. So, yeah. and when you start tugging on something and it's got these long roots, it's difficult to move. Right. And so, you know, that then kind of describes some of the challenges. You have to be then careful and methodical and respectful in how you're going to uh, drive change right. um, while also balancing the urgency that the organization wants for it. So it, it's, it can be a tricky situation. Our organization has responded well uh, overall. You know, there's been a few bumps in the road, um, but I think people realize that now's the time to move forward. Uh, we've got a team with of people with great attitudes and experience. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm fortunate that the Bolger culture and the Bolger team is really one of uh, collaboration and, and innovation and trying to think new. So that, that has helped immensely. That's awesome. I think that having the right people, man, it it's everything. If you don't have the right people, man, that's going to make life hard. Yeah, right people, right seats is something we talk about quite a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, when you talk with your team and talk about success habits, what's that conversation like? Mm -hmm. um, having a consistent playbook. And I think some of the particular habits may be different individual to individual, but um, you know, sales is a process and it's not this robotic, you know, manufacturing oriented process, but there's certain things you need to do and there's certain things you need to do more often. And you, there's certain numbers that you need to understand um, because, you know, you only have so many leverage. I mean, you can work a lot longer hours, but, you know, most aren't. I can crank up my closing rate, you know, in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, and I can add a lot more accounts, you know, to my, I mean, so there's just only so many leverage levers that we can, can play with, but, you know, finding the right, uh, habits, you know, whether it's my call cadence, 
or it's how I'm going to prepare for, uh, you know, uh, account reviews, how I'm going to prepare for initial introductory meetings so that I get the you know maximum benefit in the shortest period of time, uh, how I'm going to leverage now new technology, uh, you know, Zoom, and my, we use Microsoft Teams a lot. That's been a big, big shift oh, yeah. um, this, this year. So, but getting into that daily habit um, that you can start to, to, uh, to measure and, and where you can look forward to affecting some change. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, we're about that time in the podcast where we like to talk about one of my favorite topics, CRM. Mm -hmm. When it comes to CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? Um, I would say I'm, I'm a little bit lukewarm on it personally. Um, although, although, uh, cause here, here, here's why in my experiences with CRM before being the sales leader, my early, early experiences were more of that, you know, big brotherish, you know, how many calls are you logging in? How many activities have you put in? And, Right. And I know that sometimes that just encourages the wrong behavior. Yes. Um, I love it from the standpoint that it's really almost a business management organizing tool now where I don't have to remember so many things because the system will remember it. Right. Um, I don't, I don't have to manually segment my customers cause I can create them in buckets. Um, I can create campaigns around certain, you know, personalities of customers or segments of customers. So there's skill sets there that I that I love, but yet for me personally, sometimes they're hampered by the, you know, the old experiences of 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 that I felt, you know, as a CRM uh, user. So, but now as a sales leader, we do have a CRM platform, and 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 we've got probably fairly low adoption. Those that have adopted it tend to like it. Those that don't, you know, they have there are 50 other systems that they're using right. and uh, we need to get them to realize that ultimately this is a more efficient platform to use CRM tool. Right. So when you're having the conversation with mm -hmm. those people that are resisting CRM, do you have a why that you use, like the why you should be using this? What's your why? Yeah, for, for us, it, for me, it, it's mainly around give yourself some time back. Um, aside from the maybe initial, um, customer inputting or the data load, and you have to get it to a, a certain operating state. Right. Once you do that, it's really about leveraging your time. You have only so many hours in a day. Yep. And if you can, if you can give a lot of basic tasks and reminders and other things to the CRM tool, and you can then have, if you're gone or if you're out, or if you're tied in a meeting and a customer has got an issue Yep. Your account manager can access that and, and know right where you left off. Yep. To me, that's that's it's it's the value of time. I think that's that's number one. It by in and of itself, it's not going to add any more dollars to your book of business, but time will. And if you leverage that time well, you can apply that to earning more money. Right. I just had a conversation earlier today with a VP of Sales at a at an organization where we were talking about what happens after that deal is closed and how they're leveraging CRM mm -hmm. to support that is you termed it with the customer success team. Mm -hmm. What role does your CRM play in managing that transition to customer success? Um, truth be told, none yet. Okay. Uh, we, we just, we're just not on that journey. We, so we implemented, started implementing CRM with a pilot group of people uh, about 18 months ago. Okay. 
And so now just continuing to roll that out. Um, I have a I have two new sales hires that are starting later in this month who um, actually love CRM systems. Mm-hmm. So I'm rather optimistic that let's say just through some peer observation and people coming in with a different mindset and experience that, that that will help us uh, move forward more aggressively. We, so, but you know, we have not integrated it deeply with our uh, client success team so far. Um, when you think about CRM, I asked you this question about from the sales side, but do you have a definition of success of when you know with CRM, we're, we're really getting that traction where we want to be? What's that definition of success? Again, when, I, it, when it's part of their daily habit, um, if I'm out on a call and I'm with somebody and I see them pull it up on their tablet or their phone because it's got key information that helps them prep for a meeting, right. or when they're using that to access key documents that they might need for a presentation or, or proof points, or going to pull up a case study that they're going to the single source of truth, if you will, yep. uh, on a regular basis, then, then I think it's working versus let me you know run to my car or run to outlook or run to powerpoint or right. run to wherever yeah. mm-hmm. that's so that's great. that's the indicator that i'm looking for that's a great answer i love that because that is that's a very practical way to know we're getting traction here and people are adopting they're using it yeah um, when it comes to you know putting on your marketing hat what impact are you looking for uh from the marketing team in terms of being able to fill that top of the funnel when it comes to CRM? So all of the leads that we'll generate from our marketing campaigns uh, as they come in through you know, different response calls to action or different lead magnets, right. those will get uh, entered into CRM. So they'll get captured in the CRM. Um, and then those leads will get assigned out once they're pre-qualified, if you will, they'll get assigned out yep. to certain salespeople. Um, but there will be, in terms of you know adoption, I mean, there will be, with the right leads, some strong encouragement that you need to, you know, you have to play in order to pay, you know, to get the pay. That's right. So if you want the leads, here's where they are, and they're going to be resident in this in this system. So let's learn the tool, and I'm hoping that that becomes an additional carrot. Yeah. Um, to get people encouraged to to use it, some will probably look at it as a penalty. Um, what you know? What do you mean? I have to be in the system in order to get the lead? Well, I mean, it's exactly what I mean. So, yeah, that's where so, they're at. Uh, that's right. You want them? Here they are. Go get them. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, we are coming up on our time here uh, on Sales Lead Dog. It has been great chatting with you, Eric. If people want to reach out and connect with you, uh, find out more about you, they want to find out more about mm-hmm. Culture Printing, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? They could uh, email me directly at enorman at bulgerinc.com, or they could come to the website and, and reach the contact us page and reach out that way. We'll, we'll see those through our marketing capture right. and as well. And LinkedIn as well? And LinkedIn as well. Absolutely LinkedIn as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on Sales Lead Dog again. It has been terrific talking with you. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.